Well, I'm back. I know it's been forever. Um, you, you wouldn't believe the things that have been happening. I mean, we've got the coronavirus nearly everywhere, and here in Melbourne, it's it's hit us particularly badly. We're in a lockdown right at this point in time where we can only leave our home for food, um, to go to work if it's essential work, um, to go to the doctor or for compassionate or care leaving, um, and I think order exercise. Um, and for all those reasons, I think excluding work, you can only go five kilometres from your home. And if you want to exercise, we've been told we can only exercise for one hour. And again, we can't go then further away than five kilometres and um, you can't have more than one person with you. It's crazy for me to even go to work this week. I've got to carry a work permit in case I get pulled over. That shows that I'm an essential worker. So um, it's absolutely crazy. And and that's part of the reason why it took me so long to get this last episode out that I recorded earlier in the year. But I've been really looking forward to getting this episode out and I hope that I can do some more podcasts. Um, at the moment, I'm sort of sharing my podcast equipment with a close friend of mine who works in radio and he's using that for his own work as well, being that he's working from home at the moment with the um, with all the lockdowns that are happening. But um, yeah, looking forward to really doing a bit more of this because I definitely have missed it and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. So I'll get into a bit of an overview of that now. Today we get to hear from another car enthusiast who owns a few cars, including a Maserati, but he has a passion for American muscle, and you'll hear about what muscle car he's just bought. He worked for many years manufacturing parts for aeroplanes for clients including the Australian Defence Force, before changing careers into civil construction. Hear his story of living with an extremely rare health condition. Hear how along with his family and close friends, how the car community has played a key role in his positivity towards life. Listen out for his story of visiting the Maserati factory in Italy. It's a real cracker. So let's get started. All right, I'm here with Mark Camilleri. Did I get that right? You did. <laughs> now, is that Italian? No, Maltese. Oh, okay, that's not offensive, is it? No. No, okay. Not to cool, me cool. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Are you first generation or? No, I'm first generation Australian. They were born there and they, they arrived here in, oh God, I couldn't even tell you. But my dad was like in his early 20s and so was my mum. No way. So, yeah. Okay. Now, God, now my dad's 70, 75, 76. Yeah, yeah. Mum's about 74, so they're wow. been here a long time. Can more you, can more you... Australian than Maltese now. Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Can you still speak a bit of the language? Look, I've never been able to really speak it. I can okay. understand it. Yep. But um, I can understand most of it. Yeah, okay. But, um, yeah, I'm not – I couldn't speak it. I, if people are talking about me, I generally, generally get the gist of what they're talking about. Yeah, yep. But, um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, okay. Look, I think I'm the same. But I should introduce you. So we've we've sort of met, I think it's through Geelong Zodiac Car Club. Is that right? Yep, yep. Yeah, through there. And then we organised a bit of a movie session to see Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, and um, you were one of the people that said, yeah, look, I'm keen to watch it. And we came here to Crown Casino. Yep. Um, one of the members had some discounts, I think, hooked up some yeah. of us with cheap tickets, which is great. Yeah. Um, and that was a fantastic movie. I loved it. Yeah. We all walked out and said that was that was brilliant. You didn't have to be a car person, I think, to enjoy that movie. Yep. It yep. wasn't so technical that you needed to know the, the ins and outs of Ferrari or, or Ford to the GD40. You just... It was about the people, I think. Yeah, the story. A good movie, yeah. Yeah, no, we loved it. 
So tell us a little bit about yourself because, I mean, we had a chance to talk a little bit on the evening, but, I mean, there's probably so much more that, that I don't know about your history and, 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 you know, where you've come from. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, uh, like I, I went to, you know, Catholic college, like, you know, a lot of people and mm-hmm. um, become a tool maker. My dad's a fitter and turner, my brother's a fitter and turner, my okay. uncles are all fitter and turners, so, I mean, mm-hmm. it was just something that we did and I become a tool maker and I worked... Um, Got an apprenticeship with the government aircraft factory way back oh, no when. Way. Okay. Yeah. And I worked there for quite a few years. I worked there for well over 20 years and it went through a few evolutions of name and it mm-hmm. finally ended up as Boeing. And, no way. Um, so you worked for Boeing before they even were called Boeing? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. In Australia anyway. In Australia, okay. Yeah, they, were, they actually went from government aircraft factory to Aerospecial, which was a company that was doing a lot of French and American Stuff. Okay. So okay. they weren't really, they weren't really, um, oh, how can I explain it? They probably weren't specific. They weren't like a Ford or a Holden, mm-hmm. so to speak. They were just a generic company that manufactured whatever parts anybody wanted. Okay, for aircraft, yeah? yeah. Or not just aircraft? No, no, it was all aircraft, but I mean, it was also military. Like I, uh-huh. I had a bit of a finger in the FA 18 fighter jet and yeah. Jindavik, which was a, a drone. Like a, I guess it was a pilotless drone way back then when they used to use it for target, you know, target practice. No and way. Yeah. So would you have spent any time out at Sail at the defence base there? No, look, I spent a bit of time at Avalon. Okay. Avalon was owned by our company at the same time, mm-hmm. and that's where they built the PC nine. Okay, gotcha. The, the training, um, the the military training for you know training aircraft. Yeah, for the pilots and whatnot. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I worked on the PC nine project and. And sort of evolved, and then I went through research and development, and okay. and then I finished up. I was working an NC machine, a five-axis NC machine, doing honeycomb core and carbon fibre and things like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. And then I um, September eleven. That would pay to that basically within within two weeks of of hap- that stuff happening over in the US. We mm. basically lost. Well, Boeing lost so many sales. It's like they You're just started, yeah, they just started scaling back, and eventually, effectively, within within three weeks, we'd probably be made redundant. It was probably more than half the workforce had been made redundant. So I was there for about oh, God, I would have been about twenty years at that stage. Wow, good redundancy. Twenty years, you uh, get a free plane out of it, or what? Yeah, my ex-wife, my ex-wife <laughs> done fantastic. Out. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, no, and then we sort of go, then I finished up with there and then I decided I wanted to do um, something physical outside. I'd had yep. enough with working inside a factory and and I um, applied for a job with a company called Citywide out here, which was the old city of Melbourne. Okay. And um, I remember going for the interview there and the guy asked me, he goes, what do you know about, what do you know about asphalt? And I basically mm-hmm. said, it's black. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. And he goes, what do you know about bluestone? It's stone. And he goes, you don't really know much about any of this stuff, do you? And I said, uh-huh. no. I said, but you know what? I like to watch. So you let me watch somebody do it once mm-hmm. and I'll take it in. The mm-hmm. second time, I'll have I'll know how to do it. And the third time, I'll do it by myself. Uh-huh. Fourth time, you'll do it better than the person yeah. you watched. <laughs> That's, that was the plan. Yep, yep. And um, anyway, I walked out of there laughing and thought to myself, what the hell am I thinking? I've been doing civil construction. Or no, I've been doing, um, you know, fitting and turning and, and mm. inside manufacturing for – for 20 odd years, I, what, what was I thinking? Mm. I hadn't even got to the car yeah, and okay. my mobile phone was ringing. Yeah. And the guy was like, and it was like very early mobile phones back then. It was like the brick phone mm-hmm. and the mobile phone was ringing and he goes, I would like you to come in for a second interview. And I was like, what the, how did I, how did I 
full lap type thing, you know, no idea. And then when I sat there, we went through the second process, which was basically the, the one to give me the job. And mm-hmm. and he goes, have I got any questions? And I said, yeah. I said, how did I end up sitting here after my last interview type thing? Yeah. And he, um, he had a bit of a chuckle and he goes, because I had about 150 people before you telling me how good they are. Uh-huh. And if they were so good, why aren't they working for one of our contractors or competitors? Yeah. And he goes, you basically told me you knew nothing about it, so but you're prepared to learn. And he goes, and that was it. And I worked at Citywide for another over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Worked my way up and went back to uni, done project management. And oh, okay. Yeah, was it a degree in project management or what was it called back then? No, a diploma. Well, it wasn't really that back then. It was only a few years ago, to be honest with you. Yeah, okay. So I've done a diploma at, um, diploma in project management okay, at gotcha. Uni. Yeah. So. Uh-huh, okay. Because I did um, a university degree in... Um, Urban development, majoring in construction management, okay. whatever. But it's all very similar to that, I guess. Look, I mean, we were, we were civil construction and I'd done a lot of work with Vic Roads and, and private sector. That okay. was the majority of my work. Like, like, uh, and, and then in the last couple of years, I, I worked a fair bit with Transurban. I went okay. to New South Wales and I'd done a couple of projects for them over there and all subcontracted through Citywide. So. Yep, okay. But and have you always um, always been into cars then the whole time? Or oh, what? yeah. yeah I, was, I don't know what it was. My dad... Was never into cars, but really? one of my cousins was, and um, me and him got into it, and it was sort of like he was a few years older than me, so he had his original had his HJ HJ Kingswood, which by the mm-hmm. end of it was a HJ Monaro, and okay. you know, and 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 yeah, I was sort of, I and I sort of drifted more towards American Muscle. I don't know what uh-huh. it was. I just loved movies like Smoking the Bandit and mm-hmm. things like that, and I just sort of drifted towards that that yeah, sort okay. of car, and that was. I've had quite a few. I've had quite a few over the years, different cars, and just recently I decided. Well, you know what? I want to. I want to venture into the European stuff. Okay. And um, I had an A model Roadster, which I sold, and once I'd sold that, I had a few dollars, and then I was. I said to my wife, "I want a Ferrari." She goes, oh, "I don't think fifty thousand dollars is going to buy you a Ferrari," you know. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing a bit more research, and and that's how I ended up my Grand Sport because it was pretty much. Maserati Grand Sport, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Maserati Grand Sport, which was one of the last cars that was built by Maserati. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, built by Ferrari when they owned Maserati because okay. Ferrari bought, purchased Maserati in 2002. Okay. And then in 2008, mm-hmm. um, Maserati went back to Maserati family ownership. Mm-hmm. They were sort of able to trade themselves out and bought it back. Yeah, so, okay. And then, yeah, in 2007, they built the Grand Sport, which was – Basically being built at the same time as a 430 mm-hmm. Ferrari. So they, they took the running gear for both cars and made it the same. And the, the Maserati, they, oh, the look, they, the Ferrari was obviously a little bit more refined. Mm-hmm. But they basically made the Maserati the front engine four-seater. Mm-hmm. And they made the Ferrari the rear engine two-seater. Mm-hmm. So Okay. Yeah, the purists will never say that uh, the Maserati is the same motor as the Ferrari, which it probably isn't, but I, there isn't. That much difference in acceleration and 0 to 100 times and things yep. like that. And it so. still has a sound. Definitely has a sound, yeah. Yeah, because I don't know too much about Maseratis, but I did um, hear one the other day um, up close. I think it was part of a drive and um, I think Eddie drove past and I, I hadn't heard it and I thought, that that sounds really nice. Well, even to this day, Ferrari still manufacture the engines for Maserati. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they built it. I think they're a three point eight liter now. My one was a four point two. But um, yeah, that was my foray. No, I, I that was my my sort of taste into the the European 
yeah, exotic, yeah. what they, they classify as the exotic market. But I mean, it's... Because you, you could have at one point got a fire if you wanted to, because I'm trying to think back to our earlier conversation. You yep. got to a point where you're like, okay, well, I can buy a couple of cars if I want to, yeah. Yeah. And then you sort of thought about it and said, okay, well, I'm going to do something different. So well, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, the reason I sort of didn't go, one, I didn't go Ferrari because I didn't have the network of people that I have now. Yeah, okay. As far as maintenance and repair and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I also had a family, young kids. It's a little bit difficult to try to squeeze, you know. At the time, my daughter was like, when I bought the Mazda, my, my, one of my daughters was like 11 and the other one was like 7, try and squeeze them into a two-seater car is not really going to happen. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I sort of always had that in the back of my mind too, that I needed to go for the family type yep. thing. But but my love is all, as much as I love these cars, my, my love is American muscle. I just yeah, okay. I just have this thing for American muscle cars, you know. Yeah, okay. So what do you think will happen then? I mean, you've got, you've got the Maserati. Is there anything else? Yeah, I've got a 1957 Ford Fairlane. Okay. I, the movie Ford Fairlane. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like his. He's got a retractable. Well, that car was a retractable. Yep. And mine's a four-door pillar. So they call it Victoria Hardtop. Okay. And um, but same colour combination, red and white, and uh-huh. and everything else. So that was a ground up restoration. I purchased that car from a guy in Queensland, sight unseen. Supposed uh-huh. to be really good nick, and arrived in <laughs> Melbourne, and wife was crying at the oh, no, <laughs> top really? transport yard. She's like, "This isn't the same car as the pictures." And I'm yeah. like, "There was only about seven or eight of them in the country at the time." And I said, "Your chances of having two of them in the mm. same transport yard at the same time is pretty remote." Yep. So I ran about maybe sixty grand later. <laughs> that yeah. one, that one was a, and I've still got that. Got that at home in my garage. That's my baby. Mm-hmm. And um, just recently, I finally got my American Muscle. I bought a uh, nineteen eighty one C three Corvette. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, that's the. I've always said to my wife, I've got three children. Uh-huh. I'm gonna have three cars. I'm gonna have, <laughs> you know. Is that inclusive of what she drives as well? Or no, I mean, she's got she's got I just bought her she was a funny one because I always wanted a Range Rover. I always wanted a um I always wanted a Range Rover Sports. I just okay. always wanted one. And I you know, as much as I like the new ones, I like the 2012 13 model shape, the squarer. Okay, type yes. One. And um bought myself one of them and she used to laugh at me, go, Think you think you're the queen, you think you're this, you think you're that and I used to have a bit of a chuckle and and then just recently, like a few months back, we said, oh, well, we'll update your car. What do you want? She goes, oh, I want an Evoke. Oh. <laughs> so, so she drives around in a Range Rover Evoke now as well. But, yep. you know, I mean, people have it in their head that these cars are like crazy-ass prices where in yep. actual fact <laughs> there isn't much difference between mm. that and, and your new Commodores and Falcons. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah, there isn't really a... There isn't really a huge difference in cost. And mm-hmm. now that we've got the network of repairers and yeah. things like that, it, it, it actually costs me less money to, to service my Maserati than what it cost me to service my Triton when I had the Triton. No way. Yeah, I, How does that work? I don't know. I used to take my Triton S and a Mitsubishi and I never used to see change out of $1,000. Yeah. Take me Maserati to a guy in Cheltenham mm-hmm. and $550. Yeah. And he keeps the car for two days and... Services it tunes it does everything. Yep. And um, yeah, go figure. That's crazy. Yeah. I need to pitch that to my wife as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I just like I said, you just in your network sort of. As I got older, my network sort of grew, evolved, yep. and and went to people like yourself and yep. a few of the other guys from the club that become pretty good mates with, and you find the right what, people. Doesn't matter what you drive. Yeah. At the end of the day, because I've I've got my finger in 
so many different pies, so to speak, I guess. I don't really have a... I, I look at a car for what the car is, not for the badge that's behind it, you know what I mean? Yes. That, that's yep. me, anyway. That's, yeah, yeah, gotcha. That's what I enjoy. I yep. enjoy... Look, I've got some mates with my Toyota Corollas from the early 70s, and, and yeah. that's their pride and joy, you know? Yeah. Whether it's a, a million-dollar McLaren or a or a $2,000 Toyota Corolla, they, these guys cherish their cars the same way and and doesn't make you a better or, or lesser person no. from what you drive. It just makes you you, I guess. That's it. Yeah, so. definitely. I don't care either. If if I mean, I like BMWs, right? I appreciate Mercedes. I don't know a lot about them because yep. I've grown up, you know, with, with BMWs myself and I always research those. But if, if I find someone who's a big Mercedes fan, they love the C63s, I'm happy for them. I'm yeah. like, that's great. And if they have one, all the better. If they're saving up for one, I really hope they get one at the end <laughs> yeah. of the day, you know, because they're yeah. all great cars. And like you said, it's just about the love of the car that they have, you know, and, and that's it. Who cares even if it's a Corolla? Mate, I've got I'm, – I'm involved in a couple of clubs and, and one of them's old drag racing blokes and, and you know, they're, they're, they're funny old – they've proved it. They've proved what well, – they've, they've won – Australian drivers' championships, top fuel championships, and and everything else. So they've proved what they've got to prove. Now they've got nothing to prove. Mm-hmm. They just enjoy the cars for what they are. And then yep. another one of my groups that I'm involved in is called the Rough Cut Rough Cut Cruisers. And those Rough Cut Cruisers are anything. They don't yeah. care. They don't care. Right? It doesn't matter. I I'll go to one run one day and I'll take my Maserati. The next day I'll I'll go in my my bloody 2012 daily driving Range Rover because I can't be bothered uh-huh. pulling one of their cars out or cleaning it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And um. Yeah, they're just a group of guys that just like, oh, yeah, yep. whatever. Whatever you bring is whatever you bring. Yeah, that's it. If you and, love it, great. And that's what I like. I just – Yeah. I'm not – yeah, I'm not into this. You, you've got to have a specific make or model or, yep. you know. Yeah, exactly. Budget. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's, I went to my mate's place just recently and he goes, oh, I'm, I'm getting the car ready. I'm going to repaint it. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's an old Valiant he's had since it was his first car. Okay. And um, the guy's like 45 years old now and I rocked into his garage and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm going to paint it flat black. I've just always wanted a flat black brilliant, you know. Okay. Went out there and he had a roller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the rolling tray and he was painting it with a roller. Oh, no. And I looked at it and I looked at him and I'm just like, just shaking my head. But you know what? At the end of the day, drives down the street. It's been in Street Machine magazine more than some of my other mates that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on hot rods because this thing looks like a Mad Max car. Yeah, yeah. And he's um, painting it with a roller. And he painted it with a roller. <laughs> paints in his garage with a roller. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I looked at him and I went, well, you know what? It's what he can afford. Yeah, and, yeah. And at the end of the day, it looks all one colour. It looks pretty good. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's got these big rough cut cruisers. Logo on the bonnet, and he calls it the <laughs> Rough Cut Cruiser Staff Car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what he calls it. <laughs> ah, nice. So, yeah. But, no, nah, it's good. I met some amazing people yeah. in, involved in cars. And, mm-hmm. and again, you, you generally – I don't know. I generally find in life that they filter. Your, your personalities are what keep you as friends as opposed to your what you have. Yeah, yeah. You know? so. Yeah, exactly. Over time, yeah, it's like a filter. Some yeah. of them just filter out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some guys just think they're so much better because they drive a specific make or model or sure. live in a certain area or anything like that. We're, yep. we're just sort of like, no, nah, I'm That's not it. like that. I'm not yeah. like that at all. That's it. Uh, I like to think I'm the same. Yeah. So you mentioned that you worked at Citywide. So what happened after that then? Well, about um, oh, going back about nearly well, three and a bit years now, I was still playing um, – Football, playing okay. AFL, like in the Super Rolls, in the old, okay. man's, old man's league. So I was nudging, I was probably nudging 47, 48, playing the 35-year-olds, 
yeah. crying like a girl. You know, like a little schoolgirl every Sunday night after footy and getting getting my wife to help me get in and out of a bath with bloody Epsom salts. And, really? Oh, I couldn't move. After a game, I could not move. And she was like, why do you keep putting yourself through this? And I go, because I've got some really good mates. And if I don't turn up, they don't have the numbers and I let them down and I don't want yeah. to do it. So um, this, going back in 2016, end of 2016 season, all the boys got together and they said, oh, let's do a really good footy trip. Okay. And I'm like, well, where do you want to go? And they go, oh, let's go to Thailand. Uh-huh. And I'm like, <laughs> I just had a bit of a chuckle to myself. I'm thinking to myself, well, that'll probably be eight of us because there's not too many wives are going to let their husbands go on yeah, a for sure, to Thailand. Thailand footy trip. Mm. And, um, yeah, lo and behold, ten of us went. Um, at the end of the trip, I was starting to feel a little bit not right. And I thought to myself, well, okay, well, it's just a, just a, um, a little bit of uh, nine days of doing nothing but drinking alcohol and virtually not eating anything and sleeping an hour a night and... You know, I'm a bit too old for this, so maybe the lifestyle just caught up with Wearing me. Wearing you down a bit, yeah. Yeah. So one of the guys, um, was a single bloke, come with us. He got loved up by one of the Thai girls and he didn't come back with us. And no he, way, no, really? He extended his holiday by a few weeks and one of the other guys was going to come back with us, done the same thing. So uh-huh. um, I found myself with three seats on an aeroplane and I yeah. lifted up all the armrests and I just fell asleep and I, I slept nice. all, the way, all the way home from, from Thailand and... Um, yeah, and I was I wasn't feeling right. I just had just things that just didn't feel right. And then about and then I started losing a fair bit of weight and um went to the doctors and they done some tests, come back and told me they thought I had typhoid. They said, okay. I think you might have contracted typhoid when you're in Thailand and mm. I said, Really? And they go, Yeah, you just need to eat and I love my seafood and, and mm-hmm. over in Thailand it's hell of a lot cheaper than it is in Australia. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're eating crayfish and prawns every night of the week. Okay. And um they said all you need to do is pick up a dud prawn. And okay. and I was a little bit worried, but he goes, oh, no, look, he goes, it's pretty straightforward. We'll give you a course of antibiotics, put you in isolation for a little bit of time, and then over a period of about a few days, you become non-sort of like, not, I wouldn't say non-toxic, but you become um, non-contagious Okay. after that period of time. And he goes, and then your body will expel it over a, over a couple of weeks, you know? Yep. And I thought, yeah, all right, no worries. So they'd done all these, um, they gave me some injections and things like that, and you're going to have a really rough couple of nights. He goes, you're going to be sweating out and everything else because that's – and I said, all right. And then um, – So you're in isolation or yeah, something? Yeah, I was in isolation it? at Footscray Hospital. Yeah, okay. Um, return traveller, you know, that's what they thought. So I just thought, oh, yeah, fair yep. enough. Anyway, um, he comes in the next morning and and um, he looked at me and he goes, how'd you go? And I said, oh, I slept like a baby. Yeah. He's like looking at me. <laughs> done all blood tests. They'd done all blood tests that morning. He looked at all the blood tests. And he was a young doctor. Okay. And he looked at me and, and he just – and I go, what? And he goes, what can I say? I think I F that one up. And yeah. I go, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I don't think you got typhoid. He goes, I don't know what it is. He goes, we'll work it out. But I, I was on antibiotics and I started to feel a little bit better. So mm-hmm. we thought, well, whatever it is, it's, it's sorted. Yep. And then um, I just kept losing weight. So I was a big boy. I was at one point there, I was about 130 kilos. So Yeah, okay. And right. um, I was just losing weight and losing weight. I was losing about a kilo a day. Wow. And... Um, by the time I got down to around about 85, 90 kilos, my doctors looked at me and gone, we've, we've dropped like 30 or 40 kilos. She goes, there's something not right. Mm. And then she said to me, I'm going to test you for this um, type of, very rare type of cancer called um, NETS, neuroendocrine tumours. Okay. She goes, your chances of having it are like one in 10 million or 20 million or whatever the number really? was. Okay. She goes, but I like to discount it. Yep. You know? I said, yeah, right, no worries. So we've done a blood test and, and everything else. 
went there a week later and she had tears in her eyes and I walked in and I go, what's the matter? She goes, you can believe this. She goes, you've got nets. She goes, I can't believe it. She goes, I've been a doctor for I don't know how many years. Mm-hmm. She goes, and I've tested a few people, never even come close to diagnosing somebody. Well, yeah. And my brother-in-law at the time had just gone through leukaemia. So I thought, well, okay, well, all right, it's going to be a rough 12 months, but chemos and this and that, not yeah, understanding okay. what I had. Mm. And then... Um, yeah, and then we've sort of found out three years down the track it's nothing like any other type of cancer. It just really mimics okay. it mimics other other diseases. So you start treating it. it so in actual fact, it mimicked typhoid. So oh. people were treating me for typhoid, not actually treating the cancer. Oh, and okay. Then, um, yeah, and even the doctors now, like I mean, they I, my oncologist is a professor, and he's one of the leading guys in Australia. He's probably one of the leading people in the world to do with with nets, with neuroendocrine cancer. Yep. And um, I walk in, I go, what are we doing next? What's the next course of treatment? And he looks at me and just shrugs his shoulders. He goes, oh, I don't know. Like, we goes, don't know. We don't know. He goes, we'll try this, we'll try that, we'll try this. Because so, I hadn't heard of it either. Yeah. No, not many people have. I mean, what a lot of people don't realise is um, Steve Jobs yep. from, from Apple, that's what he passed away from. Everybody oh, seems really? to think okay. that he had um, pancreatic cancer. He had uh-huh. what they call P-nets, which is what I've got, pancreatic nets. Okay. So... It's a type of cancer, like a, it's a tumour that grows in your pancreas. So mm-hmm. it's not pancreatic cancer as such. Pancreatic cancer will generally kill somebody in two years. Oh, really? So, okay. And this is, as I get told by the doctors, oh, you've got the good cancer. How they can put good and cancer <laughs> in the same sentence still blows me away, but yeah, apparently yeah. I've got the good cancer. It's a quite a slow-growing one, but if it goes south, it goes south very quickly. Like within, within weeks, you could be, go from sick to... Being in a box, unfortunately. Really? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. when did you find out then? How, how well, long I found was out January 2017, which was just after I got back from the trip, which was actually okay. really good because some people go years and years and years. Oh, without even knowing? No, they get told they've ah. got all irritable bowel syndrome, IBS or other sure. things. Then they pass away and then they open them up to do an autopsy and they find them full of tumours and they're like, what the hell? And okay. they just didn't even know they had it. So you were really lucky that... In respect to that, yeah, I was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so you were able to start treatment pretty quickly then? Yeah, I get... I, I'm still undergoing treatment now. Like, this is... What I've got is unoperable okay. because of where it is. And it's basically incurable. You just live with it until mm-hmm. <laughs> it it gets you or something else does, you know? Yeah, okay, gotcha. So, but you um, can live for, for quite a long time. Look, some people... I've, I've met people that got diagnosed in January and they were dead by the end of that year. And then I've got other... I know other people that have that have... Been diagnosed with it. I met a guy from Tassie just recently. He'd been diagnosed with it 15 years ago. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then he'd been tested. And they said he's not hereditary or anything like that. He was just unfortunate. Yep. And then his son copped it 15 years later. Exactly the same thing. But it's not something that goes through generations or anything, is it? Or it's just well, in his case, control. it wasn't. Sometimes yep. it does. Okay. But in his case, it wasn't. So um, it was just unfortunate. One in 20 million. Oh yeah, probably. Uh, you know, think about it. There's about just. On numbers, and, and don't quote me as the exact number, but I know these are roughly about right. There's about 1.2 million cases of breast cancer diagnosed in Australia yearly. Wow. Right? Yearly. Yep. Um, and there's around about, with what I've got, this neuroendocrine nets, there's about 750,000 people worldwide with it. Wow, okay. That's still so, a huge number. Yeah. It's, it's, quite a, it's quite a big amount. It's yep. quite a lot of people, but when you look at it in relation to cancers, it's like point. Point one of a percent. Uh-huh, okay, gotcha. So it's not really, and and there's not enough, not enough people have it. Even though there's been a couple of high profile people that recently passed away, unfortunately, you got mm-hmm. Steve Jobs and Aretha Franklin 
was another okay. one that she had exactly what we've got as well, P-nets. Like, she's got what I've got, pancreatic nets. Yep, okay. So, but you know what? I sort of figured to myself, I, I, you know, had a bit of a bit of a cry and sat mm. down for a couple of weeks and thought, you know what? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then a couple of months later, I thought, you know, well, I'm not going to let this control me or, or dictate what I do for the rest of my life. Yep. And um, then the symptoms started kicking in and a lot of fatigue. Okay. Was that because it was um, being shown as though it was – what was the other disease you mentioned? Oh, typhoid. Is, is that the symptoms you were having after that or – No, it's – look – with neuroendocrine, that, that's one of the main symptoms with it, fatigue. Yeah, so it's okay. like having chronic fatigue syndrome. People tell me I've never had chronic fatigue syndrome, but yep. my, you know, like my latter, my recent years, I was a civil contractor, and so I would yep. be getting up at sometimes six in the morning and not going to bed till two o'clock in the morning, you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden my days got a little bit later, like six become seven, become eight, become nine. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoons were from like five o'clock to four o'clock to three o'clock yep. to two o'clock. And my company was fantastic. They mm-hmm. they knew what was going on and, and in the end they got me laptops, they got me everything. They said, if you're not right, you just stay home and, yeah. and do what you need to do. You don't need to be in an office to, to do your work, you know. Yep. Do your phone calls. If you've got meetings, we can adjust them. Or if you need to go to a specific meeting and you can't get there, we'll get somebody else to go in your place. Yep. And so they were, they were absolutely fantastic. And then um, just over three years, it, it just become unfair to them, I guess, because mm-hmm. because you just uh, – look, I, I remember on a couple of occasions where it was about one o'clock in the afternoon and I just conked out. Yeah, and I, and I, we had a tea room with a big couch in it and I was asleep and then I'd wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, um, eight o'clock that night, I'd hear something yeah. and I'd be like, what the – and I'd open my eyes and here's the cleaner cleaning. Yeah, vacuuming. Office, <laughs> office is closed and it's, you know, eight o'clock, middle of winter and I'm like – God, you know, I'd been asleep for seven hours, <laughs> yeah. and they just put me a blanket over me and let yeah. me sleep, and and um, so yeah, so just recently, my doctors basically said it was time, I think, to retire. So, mm-hmm. so I had um, a little bit of income protection insurance, which is going to sort of see me out for the next couple of years, and then I've been a bit smart and invested yep. a little bit in a little bit of property, so got enough there to be able to pay the bills and. Yep. Probably won't be buying too many more cars, especially. Although I'm sure it was tempting, <laughs> I'm sure when the. When the check comes through, you're like, oh, I could so go and do it right now. Oh, yeah, I'd love to do it. But you know what? I'm just – I'm really, really content and I just learnt and and sort of things changed and I sort of come to the conclusion that if life throws you lemons, make lemonade. I mean, you can't yeah. really – what do you do? Like, I mean, I, I can't – I don't want what I've got. Sure. If I had the opportunity to give it all back and go back to my normal life, I'd do that tomorrow. But mm. I don't have that, so – well, you know what? Make hay while the sun shines and just do whatever I've got to do. We, we sort of bought a newer caravan and we do a little bit of caravaning with the kids. I was away last weekend. It was me, my son, a couple of mates. We went to Ballarat Swap Meet and, we, yeah. we, you know, they were walking around. They come back and everybody turned around and goes, oh, well, here's your trophy. And I go, what's that for? They go, the best caravan in the place. They go, you've got the bloody Taj Mahal. You know? Oh, really? Like, so, yeah, we were sitting there. I didn't the even know there was a like, competition for oh, caravans. No, <laughs> I think everybody's just having a bit of a joke because, I mean, yeah, the people yeah. there generally tent it. Yeah, okay, you know, gotcha. We've always done it in a tent as well. And then this yep. time I just turned around and said, I don't want to. So yep. I took the caravan there. We, we bought an extra site. So we had two sites and we put the caravan uh, yep. there and I've got shower, toilet, 
kitchen. <laughs> All inside, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there's a couple of bunks there. So a couple of guys slept on the bunks and I slept on a double bed. We had tea. Yep. We were watching the footy on the Saturday yeah, night. Really? Friday night, actually, we were watching the, the footy and nice. everybody's just shaking their head going, are you kidding me? They were watching it on little mobile phones. On their phones, phones and buffering, buffering. <laughs> <laughs> got his big bloody 22 inch TV and we're yeah. watching the you know in the caravan sitting on a leather couch just watching watching yep. TV so oh, a, fantastic of a running joke but um nah, that's look. cool I mean look that's one thing that I picked up when um when you said you were coming to the movies and you had to go to the hospital first because you were getting treatment at that time yeah now, I don't know you have to you had to get it disconnected from your arm or whatever it was yep and I'm like man what a champion like like that's not going to stop me from going to the movies and watching it Look, they, one of the treatments, which I had to do 12 cycles of my last chemotherapy, because they're different. You have different chemos. Like, I've, I've undergone oral, okay. chemo, which is a tablet. Uh-huh. And then the last couple have been IV, like conventional, what you see on TV, you know? Yeah, okay. Chemos. But um, the one that I have, it's it's a two-part thing. So you go into hospital and you're there basically all day and you're having the chemo done like what you see. And yep. then they give you a bottle. It looks like a little baby bottle. They okay, call yep. it the baby bottle. And it's got like a balloon in it. Uh-huh. And that balloon has got chemo in it. And it uh-huh. puts in measured quantities over two days. Okay. And then because I live within the area and so to free up the hospital system a little bit, mm-hmm. there's um a little part of Peter Max called Peter Mac at home. Well, they'll come to your house and they disconnect. Uh-huh. And um, they take you off the bottle because you take that – I take that bottle home for a couple of days, carry a little bag, and it's connected. It's actually connected through my chest. Oh, through your chest. Okay, yeah, I've got gotcha. a port in my chest. Gotcha. And um, what had happened, I had a new nurse and she was really nervous about being there and everything else and she actually forgot to ring Peter Mac because they've got to ring Peter Mac at home and tell them, right, uh-huh. we put the bottle on him at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it's got to go for 46 hours, you need to go this day, this time to disconnect it. And she'd actually forgotten mm-hmm. to ring him. Okay. And I rang him at about 3.30 that afternoon and they said, look, we, we didn't know, can we come tomorrow morning? And we were going sure. to the movie that night. Not, yeah. I just went, oh, don't really want to walk around Crown. Not that it's a problem, like it's concealed, you can't see it. Just convenience, you were like, didn't want to have to worry about that. Yeah. Because it wasn't doing anything, yeah, it's just okay. there. Just and finished. I, and if somebody knocks you, it actually hurts a little bit and uh-huh. things like that. So I just said, can I come through the hospital? And she goes, yeah, come in. So I came in there and I had it disconnected and I was in the city anyway. So, yep. But I mean, again, they're fantastic. Like, yep. It's a hospital you never want to go to, mm-hmm. but if you are there, I think yep. you're one of the best places in Australia. Yeah, really? Okay. Yeah. Because so. it's – I don't know if you're able – if you came down to the Peter Mac Cancer Foundation. I, the name is so long I get, yeah. it, get it wrong. But we had a charity event last week. Yeah, I, um, I couldn't get – in Hobart for a wedding. So oh, I, yeah, okay. Yeah, I couldn't get there. But I'm, I'm actually regretting that one. That was the only one – the event that I really, 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 really? wanted to okay. go to. Really? Okay. Yeah, so for those of you who are listening, we had an event where we met at Albert Park. Um, this was organised by um, by Michael Mack. Um, his father passed away a few years ago and, and since then um, he's been running this charity event every year to raise funds for the foundation. And we meet at Albert Park. Everyone has a bit of a look around, see who else is there. Then we drive down um, to Portsea Hotel. I think on one or two years they've had to change the location because of renovations or whatnot. But um, this particular year... Um, like I mean, you you must have seen photos I of did. the turnout. It was huge. We never expected. I mean, I thought there'd be you know a good turnout, but the cars just never stopped coming. And it was so cool because obviously the the Formula One Grand Prix starting now, so the fences are all up, the chairs are all up. So we were we were parking right outside pit lane, <laughs> and um, we took up awesome. both sides of the road. And um, there were so many people that 
um, they're just walking along the road thinking that this is just now suddenly a private functioned area yeah, right. and we had to keep whistling saying no no cars are actually still coming through here yeah, yeah right. so um security were there as well we gave them a tip that the event was happening oops i think okay sorry my audio just dropped when i moved this um so one of the guys from the club actually works as security for for the uh, Formula One Grand Prix. So we let him know and, and he let everyone know that I was working the day shift that, hey, look, there's an event happening. So if um, yeah. if people start turning up, um, you know what's going on. And, and they loved it. They were there. They were watching. Everyone behaved. There was no burnouts or anything. No. And, um, I mean, I'm still talking to, to Michael Mack and he's still getting people calling and texting saying how much fun they had. And, um, and they want to know when the next one's on. But I don't know a lot about the foundation, so it was interesting for you to bring them up because I know we've had the, um, the recent fires here and a lot of people donated to a lot of charities and then a lot of those charities got in hot water because of how much of um, the funds was taken up by admin fees and, and percentages and so not. And I know when we spoke last time um, at the cinema, you've, you've had a little bit of insight in terms of what goes on in some of these charities. Oh, look, there's a lot of administration costs, right? Yep. But I'm not sure what the legal amount is, but they, they only – they're allowed to keep – I think from memory, we do. I used to be involved in a club that used to do a Good Friday appeal thing, right? Yep. You're allowed to keep 20 or 25% okay. of the money for administration costs. We never did. We mm-hmm. always used to – always at the end of it, we were, we were raising $30,000, $40,000 a year and we were keeping a couple of grand aside just to be able to pay the deposits and everything we needed – for the following year. Sure. But that's why I'm a little bit blown away from what I've been reading about, like, the, the different charities and how much they've been keeping because, I mean, that's – it just doesn't seem right. Right, yeah. You know? And, I mean, I – look, I'm involved. When I say I'm involved, I'm a member of a, a charity called the Unicorn Foundation which looks after people with nets. And we've done a little show for them. And we raised – Yes. All up we raised just under five grand and, and we gave them everything. The only, yeah. the, the, the only money – well, in all honesty, I didn't keep anything. Like, I mean, I bought raffle tickets and things like that, which – Yeah, out of your own pocket. Yeah, yeah. which was yep. a couple of hundred bucks. But, yeah. I mean, big deal. And, That's I mean, it. this was like we decided to do it and within six weeks and we had 400 cars there. Yeah, wow. You know, Are you just, kidding? 400? Uh, yeah. And we raised five grand and then the G – or thereabouts and then the GCC guys, all the Geelong guys, then they decided to do this calendar. Yep. And, um, and guys – actually paid $50 each as a donation to be in the calendar. And they yes. got a calendar, but more than half that money went to the foundation. So yes. I actually spoke to Craig, who was the one who took all the photos and everything. Yep. And um, we had a bit of a chat about it. And they've just they've basically sold all the calendars now. And he goes, there's around another fifteen or $1,600. So what I'm trying to do is organise the foundation. Mm-hmm. The lady that runs it, like her sister, passed away from – Nets, and that's oh. how it all. That's how she started it. Okay. And um, and yeah, and and I'm trying to catch up and organise a time with her, where we can get a few of us together and we'll make it a bit of a day, make a bit of an adventure. She's out towards Mornington down that oh, way. Oh, okay, gotcha. So um, we just thought, you know what, we'll make it a bit of a make a bit of a day of it. Maybe meet and we'll drive down there, and give her. Mm-hmm. A, I mean, Craig said he's got one of those big novelty checks, you know, the big. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> in case we get one of those big novelty checks, maybe get a few photos or something like that. Yeah. But I mean. They, they're an organisation. We've got in, – in the Unicorn Foundation, we're trying to raise money to get another nurse. We've got yes. one net nurse that covers the whole of Australia. You're kidding. So there's 
there's probably around about I, I don't know numbers, but there'd probably be a thousand, fifteen hundred people in Australia with really? with nets all over the place. Mm. And um and yeah, like I mean I just went to Hobart last weekend for a wedding and caught up with the three people on out of Hobart or out of Tassie that I knew. Yep. And one of them flies to Brisbane for treatment okay. under, at her own expense. Yeah. Another one travels to um, Sydney at his own expense. And the other one's moving because he can't afford to keep flying backwards and forwards. So he's actually moving to Newcastle, sing, come recently single and um, said, you know what, don't need to live here. So he's moving from Hobart to Newcastle. And is that where the nurse is at the moment? The, the no, one well, nurse? The, nurse, the nurse is based in Melbourne. Okay. Right? Our nurse is based in Melbourne. So she's a phone call, email, you know. You can ring her and, and she's fantastic. She's absolutely brilliant. But she goes to meetings and you talk to where I am. I'm flying to South Australia for a meeting and then from there I'm flying over to West Australia yep. to meet up with a few people. And then she travels back to Melbourne and then she's in conferences. And, and it's like, it's poor lady. One person. And she's married with a family as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, got to have some commitment. And, and, and her name's Kate and she doesn't have Ned's. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but she's amazing. Like, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, she's she's fantastic to be able to have that kind of commitment for something mm-hmm. like this. And people turn around and say, "Oh, oh I'd be good to travel with work and that sort of stuff." Like, I used to do it. It's not. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. You, know? you go travel with work and you sit in a hotel room. If you're not working, you're sitting in a hotel room. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all you're basically doing. You, yep. And you're, you're too forever tired. filling out expense claims. <laughs> and you're just too tired to sightsee. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You don't. You don't go to. I've been to Queensland and looked at a couple of jobs up there just before I, before I retired and finished up. And and by the time you've done your whole day driving, you've gone mm. and had dinner, it's 8 o'clock at night. You know you've got a 5 o'clock in the morning start the next day. Mm. You're not interested in going out to bars and nightclubs and doing anything like that. You no. just want to go to sleep. That's it. So it's not a glamorous life. And and, yeah. and I look at her and I think, wow, she's just committed to yeah. and really, really loves the people in the group. Mm-hmm. You know, to really want to, and she and she really always has their interest at heart. And I just think, well, if we can try and raise some money, and we're, we're they're trying to lobby some biz- businesses and government <laughs> and a few other people to try to get a little bit more money to be able to at least put a second nurse on, maybe in Western Australia or in Queensland or something like that. Yeah, but um, it shouldn't be. I mean, the amount of money that would be involved in getting a second person on would be a pee in the ocean for the government. Not even that. You know, just you know, they, they have these. Charity cricket matches and for breast cancer and, and don't get me wrong, you know, good all power to them. Like they've got some really high profile people and yep. they've raised money and they put on twelve nurses. They had mm. one one game and they put on twelve breast cancer extra breast cancer nurses. Now I don't know if that was in Victoria, Australia, but mm. they put on and I'm just sitting there going, Surely Yeah, you know, the government can look at what we have and say, Well, these people have got one Only know, one. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I mean, look, again, at the end of the day, the the group is a very resilient group. Like, that's one thing I've found, you know, they've got a, we've got a private Facebook page and there's a public Facebook page as well. So anybody Mm -hmm. can get on the public one and have a look and the private one is just for us. And my my wife has been involved with um, a couple of other people now. They've just created a carers page, which is just, Ah, just for the carers. Because I mean, look, you know, sometimes there's a lot of other things like side effects, like you have... I, I was on one kind of chemo called Captem, okay. and um, it's two forms of tablets. They have one tablet for nine days and then two tablets for the last four days. Okay. And the last four-day tablet's like an amplifier. Oh. And I went to sleep, wake up five days later. No way. Yeah. 
literally wake up. My house could have burnt down around me. My wife goes, do you remember me waking you up? And they told her, feeding bananas because there's a high potassium and okay. a few things in there, bananas. So so you did wake up over that time. But I don't remember it. I don't remember like, it. I'd basically wake up, she'd give me a bottle of water, yeah. give me a few mouthfuls of water, shove a banana down my throat. throat Take your next two sure tablets. Like, well, by that stage, you finished the treatment. So you've oh, done okay. your nine days and your four days. Oh, so you and just then this like knocked afterwards. out. Yeah, just knocked me out. Wow. And she was on a page and, and she was like besides herself. She's going, is yeah. this normal? Yep. And then she got onto um, a particular page called the Cap 10 page and they said, yeah, no, this will be normal. And Yeah, fantastic because you know? you'd be freaking out. So she sort of worked with Kate and a couple of other people and done a carer's page where I don't even see like yeah, the patients, conversations, we don't yeah. see them. Yep. You know, because sometimes they need a bit of a... That's their own support group, yeah. just like your own. Yeah, yeah. Like, we've got a support group of the people that have got it. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's it's really difficult to talk to somebody that doesn't have it. Because it's, it's you know what, everybody, and, and, they've, and they've got good hearts. Everybody that wants to have the conversation has got good hearts, but they compare it to breast cancer. It's always compared to breast cancer. Is always. There, yeah. yeah. And But it's nothing like it. It doesn't, it doesn't hit... Any particular gender, it can get anyone, yeah? No. Age-wise, look, it doesn't generally happen in children so much. Okay. It's probably more the older, but <laughs> but I've known cases of 12 and 13 and 14-year-old kids that have got it. Mm. So, but I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know, it's like, like I said, it's one of those things, we just, we, you just know, and she knows, and there's days where you get really frustrated, like, I mean, where you're angry because you don't even know why, you just are. Yeah. And, and you're just like... You know, with me, I get frustrated because I'm such a physical person as far as work goes. Mm-hmm. You know, I just would get up and I'd move soil. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if I saw guys doing asphalt and they were struggling, I would jump on a shovel and I would help them. Yep. Where I moved some soil just recently because I'm just renovating a house. I just moved, renovated a house for us to move into and um, I moved some soil. And <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, oh, I've got to go to the doctor. I'm actually going to go to the doctor tomorrow. She goes, why? I said, because... I, I've done something to my arm to the point where I, I can't even, I can't even tip a bottle into my mouth. Okay. And I'm like, well, this is something that would normally a day or two would start to get better. Sure. You know, it'd still be a little bit sore, but get better. But this yeah. is like a week, over a week now, uh-huh, and okay. there's no improvement whatsoever. So I said, I've obviously done something, and that becomes frustrating to me because yeah. I can't. You know, I tried to undo a bolt today, uh-huh. and I'm doing everything left-handed because I can't use my right hand, and, I, and that and that frustrates I me. Imagine. But then there's other people they get, you know, they get frustrated over other things. Like, I mean, I've been quite lucky in that even though it's in my liver, I can still have a beer or have a bourbon and enjoy it, Yep. you know, socially. I mean, not. Yeah, yeah. But I know people that, like, you know, one lady specifically, she's in, she was involved in wine, manufacturing mm-hmm. and making and, and doing whatever with wine. She can't even smell it. Now, really? Yeah, she can't, she can't, she had surgery and they removed a part of her liver mm-hmm. and now she can't even basically smell a glass of wine without being sick. Yeah, wow. So. Everyone's different, eh? Yeah, yeah, everybody's different with this stuff. But you know what? The cars, I go back to the cars because the cars are an absolute really great leveller. Mm-hmm. You know, my mates know what I'm like. So they'll say, oh, come with us. And I'm like, where are you going? Oh, we're going to Penlink. And I'm like, oh, God, that's a. <laughs> That's a cut lunch from where I live, right, yep. the western suburbs. I mean, it's like, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not coming. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, you've got to come, you've got to come. I'm like, mate, I just, I conk out. So what do they do? They come, they, they organise it, they come, they pick me up, we'll go and have dinner. 
And then we'll be walking around. It might be 10 o'clock at night. And I'm just mm-hmm. like yawning my head off. And he'll just throw yep. me a set of keys and say, go, go sleep in the car. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go and I'll conk out in the car for an hour or two. And, and then they're either on their way home or or whatever, you know. And, and like I said, the guys are great. And, yep. yeah, I just, I've, I've got some, you know, 30, 40 friendships that I met these guys from cars. Wow. So. And that, I guess if you didn't have that now, how would it be different, I mean? Uh, look, you know what? Life would be pretty lonely. You know, yeah. You know, you, you've, like that night we went to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. I sat there next to one of the other guys we were sitting. We were just sitting there talking. You know, he's had, he's had some life issues as well and, and things like that. And, and we, we just sat there and I would never have met this guy. And then after we finished there, we went and had a beer and, and mate, I got home at like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no way, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were at a bar and had a few drinks and not a lot, but just enough. And we yeah. were just talking about You things. blink and then it's 2 a.m., yep. Mucking around and, yep. and then I'm like, look at the time, holy crap. I said, you know what? I've got doctor's appointments at like nine o'clock tomorrow morning <laughs> and it's like two o'clock in the morning now, you know. <laughs> dropped him off and dropped him at home and... Kept on going and, and then, yeah, and I just, he's a guy that I would never have met yep. any other way, mm. you know? Because we sat there watch Ford versus Ferrari and then all of a sudden here's this guy become really good mates with and mm. yourself. Like, I mean, we'd never really had a conversation because when you're in a group of of car guys, there's always so many of you. Yes. You're sort of going around and high and bite everybody. Yeah, you levitate towards the people that you know the most as well. That's right. But yep. that particular night, we there was, it was a, Big enough group to enjoy it, but a small enough group to actually get to know everyone. Get to know people, you know. We had a yep. burger before it all started, and it. it was really, really good. And and I, uh, the group is fantastic. Like, I mean, I, I really didn't think I would fit in mm-hmm. at that group. I got, I was sitting there randomly one night, get a message on Messenger from from Eddie saying, okay. "Oh yeah, you know, we've got a club going, blah blah blah. It's exotics." And I'm like sitting there going, "Mate, I've got a forty thousand dollar Maserati, mate. I don't have." A Lamborghini, Ferrari, or any of these other cars, and I sent him a message, sent him a picture of the car, and said, "Mate, this is what I got." So, I think you might have the wrong person. You know, you might have mistaken <laughs> me for somebody else. No, no, no. You know such and such. You know such and such, and they've sort of put you on. And and I'm like, you know, right. So I said to me, I've got a 13 year old daughter who's just crazy about that sort of stuff as well. And I said, well, "Come with me. We'll go to we'll go to one of these things." And she's like, "Yeah, all right. Let's go." And we went there, and it was just fantastic. You know. Mm-hmm. Guys are rocking up with, you know, million-dollar Lamborghinis and I'm sort of looking at one of them and I'm just sitting there in absolute awe of this car, you know what I mean? Yep. And he's like, open the door, jump in it. And I'm like, mm, no, no, I'm too scared to sit in it, mate. I don't <laughs> want to, you know, your sill panel's probably worth as much as my car. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, just get in the damn thing, it's just a car. And then I remember him taking off and all I could hear was because <laughs> he was driving off down the street and then I'd come back and he goes, oh, I probably took off a little bit too quick that time, didn't I? And I'm just... <laughs> Having a laugh, you know, or some guy will rock up in a Rolls Royce that's worth three quarters of a million bucks, and it's like jump in it and have a look, you know. And you're yep. just like sitting there thinking, wow. And mm. then had the unicorn show, and there was one of the guys rocked up with the McLaren, and it was just under a million bucks. Mm. And my wife was looking at it, and he goes, jump in, and he took her in the car and just oh wow, yeah, yeah he just took her for a spin, and that's what I find mm. with these guys. They just they have a passion for the car, but they also have a passion to drive the car. Yes, yep. Where I, you know. I've, been involved in hot rods in the past as well where these guys spend a quarter of the money mm. and they don't even want to start the car and drive across a polished, you know, basketball court because they don't want 
and extracted a go blue because it's all about the look. Yeah, yeah. You see some of those at the Motor Classica, yeah, is it? Yeah, or? Motor X. And yeah, Motor X, all those, yeah, where every part of the car is shining and there's not a speck of dust on the tyre. Yeah. Oh, it's, look, I've got a mate of mine that, that had a hot rod and he won straight machine of the year. It was the very first hot rod to win straight machine of the year. Okay. And it was called a Boydster. So it was built, um, the original body was built by, in America, Boyd Connington. Okay. And um, he's passed away now, but... Um, he built these Boydsters and he made seven cars, replica mm-hmm. cars, like out of moulded off his. Okay. And he made one for Australia and he spoke to one of my mates who'd won Street Machine the year that year or the year before with his hot rod. Mm-hmm. And he said to him, he goes, yeah, no worries. He goes, here. Yeah. He goes, you can build the Australian version of the car, yeah? Okay. So he went, yeah, right, no worries. And I, and I always remember having the conversation with a couple of mates that were, that were sort of involved in cost-wise and things like that. That car was ridiculously expensive. Like, I mean, he sold an award-winning hot rod to just buy a a bare body and a chassis and a set of wheels. So I don't know what kind of dollars, but I would estimate there would have been three to $400,000 spent on that car by the time it was finished. Wow. And he just wouldn't, literally wouldn't drive it. Yeah, yeah. Where these guys rock up with a... McLaren worth 960000 and then the next time you see photos, they've got smoke pouring off the exhaust because these guys have just thrashed it all the way up to King Lake. You know oh, what really? I mean? I'm like <laughs> sitting there going, you know? I, 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 and I love that. Yep. I've never had the show pony that I couldn't drive. Mm-hmm. You know? Even my 57 Fairlane, ground-up restoration, it's got black vinyl seats. And everybody goes, oh, red and white trim, do this, do that. Mm. No, mate, I build it so I can throw my kids in it. We can go to Williamstown, buy an ice cream, and if they drop a little bit of ice cream on the seat, I just wipe it when we get home and, and the job's done. Yeah, that's it. That's what my stuff's all about, yep. you know. Maserati's the same, you know. Like, I mean, that circle of guys doesn't really see or have anything to do with the exotic stuff. So, mm. and they've all got kids and you'll, you'll chuck them in there and and you'll go for a drive and all of a sudden these kids are going into school saying, oh, I went for a drive in Dad's mate's Maserati, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. like, and, you know, I just, I don't know, I just tend to, I just tend to do that. We we watching Facebook, looking on Facebook about four or five months ago and there was this kid there and he was, had a little bit of autism and he was being bullied and he turned out to live in Epping. Mm-hmm. And um, I put a group of guys together and I, I took my Corvette Another mate of mine took the, the Valiant. Uh-huh. Um, a guy turned up with an American police car. Really? Another lady took a car that's got – she's got a Barbie car. It's okay. A, it's a Barbie Volkswagen. Uh-huh. She took a Barbie Volkswagen. Another guy rocked up with a, a nine-second Commodore. Yeah. And, mate, we took this kid for a drive. We all took him for a drive, you know, and he come back and he was the coolest kid in the street. Yep. And that was all just from Facebook. And yes. then um, his dad sent me a message that night and goes – that was his ninth birthday. He goes, he, he's having his tenth birthday at McDonald's next year, and he wants you all to come. <laughs> and we're like, we're there, you know. So that's, that's awesome. what I love. I love being able to put a smile, especially kids. So how did it happen through Facebook? You saw an article, or, or no, what just, happened? It was just one of those things on Facebook, you know, one of those things that gets shared about yeah, the yeah. kid being bullied. There was that recent one where the the um, the kid was um, being bullied, and he was at. I think he was Aboriginal kid with okay. being bullied and he was a dwarf. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I remember and, that um, And, yeah, he had dwarfism and, and it was one of those. One of those, okay. It was just that happened to be I, – I went back and had a quick look. I went back to the original – I managed to get back to the original article and I looked at it and I found out he was in Melbourne. Uh-huh. 
And then I put it out there on my page and just said, hey, guys. Does anyone let's know? Let's do something. And next thing I know, I've got 10 people. And we, we all went there and made his afternoon. And then we all got together and we all went to bloody a donut shop and bought donuts and all mucked around. And, Unreal. You know, I mean, but that's what the community's about. That's yep. what the car community's about. It doesn't mm. matter what you drive. Yes. These guys are all really – they're the first people to put in, mm. you know. Like – like, even the bikies, like, people bag them and give them a hard time and they're this and that. I don't think they go out of their way to to do something to the normal, average person. I mean, yes. you've got to have some sort of involvement or, in you know, in in somehow entwined in their world yep. to be in that sort of thing. For you to just see them down the street, <laughs> I see them all the time, they're ready to drum them. How you going, guys? Yeah, not bad, mate. How you going? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know. I just... I, I maybe I'm one of these people that don't go out of my way to find trouble. Yeah, yeah. I just that's the way to be though. <laughs> oh, and I love it. I just love it. I, I like I said, I, I didn't. I honestly didn't think that I would fit in with the exotic boys and had a bit of a laugh. And then I got mates out of hot rodders, and I got mates that into the American muscle. I went with a guy yesterday. One of my mates rocked up and he went and looked at a few cars with me. Ended up buying a 1963 Mercury Comet. You okay. know what I mean? And he come to my place, and I went through all my stuff. I go, "Here's a taco. Here's, here's um some harnesses for your kids, and here's a bloody no couple way. of stickers for the back window." And I just, Wicked. it's there. You know what I mean? And I mean, I, I buy these things, accumulate the stuff over the years at swap meets and everything else. And I was mm-hmm. like, there you go. It cost me a couple of bucks. It's just the look on his face was priceless. Yeah, really. You know? But yeah, no, he's become awesome. a he's become a really good mate just in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's what I'm finding. That's what I'm really, really finding, and I'm, and I'm loving that. Yeah, loving that. Love my family, obviously. I mean, my family's, you know, like my number one thing. But yep. yeah, but I mean, even just, even just um, all these guys, like they call themselves. We, they, I know the Geelong guys. They're pretty big with the word family, you know, the Geelong exotic family. But they, they're very much like that too. Yeah. Like when I needed out, well, I didn't. I put it out there for this car show, and they were the first ones there. They rocked up with like fifty cars. Wow, yeah. So I'm like sitting there going, "Well, these guys have known me a year, and and look at these." Mm. And then there was guys that sent me messages and said, "My cars, and like, just come." And they come with their daily drivers, and they yep. parked them there as well, and just had a burger, and and that's what it was all about the day. Mm-hmm. So, and oh, I love that. Awesome. I love that. So I've had a pretty, I'm gonna. Pretty weird and wonderful lifestyle, you know. I've lived a few years in outlaw bike clubs, which probably weren't you know, the highlight of my life. And you know, I've been married a couple of times, and I'm sure my ex-wife thinks I'm whatever she thinks I am. But <laughs> having said that, we were at Bellowat Swap Meet on the weekend, and there was my son was with me, and and she rocked up and she sat there and went and bought me a drink, and we we're sitting there having a conversation, and and yeah, it's just you know that's actually really good because. Um, a lot of families that, that that break up relationships that that um that fall apart don't get to that point where they can sit next to each other and share a drink and share a meal, and to yeah. get to that point like that's that's awesome honestly because there's nothing worse than families that split apart and kids don't talk to parents and all that stuff you know my family's gone through a divorce themselves and um, yeah it's not great no. but that's amazing that you you can do that and then to be at this point in your life and to to not be to have all you know healthy relationships with everyone. That's oh, awesome. Look, I think in that respect, it's, it wasn't like we split up Monday and then Wednesday we're having dinner and we're best mates, you know what I mean? There, yeah. was a, there was a process. Sure. But I think what it is is you start to look at other people 
and you see these messy ones mm-hmm. and you think, well, we just grew apart. Yep. We got to the point where we were quite young when we got together. We sort of grew apart. We, there was no shotgun wedding or anything like that, but we, we sort of got married quite young and then over the years we just grew apart. Mm-hmm. And, and then when we separated, other people get involved and then you start to realise that, hey, you know what? Stay the hell out of it. It's got nothing to do with you. And then when both groups do that, and then you can sit down and, and that's that was our my or like our thing anyway. And and we're at the point now where like my ex wife, first thing she comes up and says to me, How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Hope you're okay and yep. stuff like that. And, and I actually feel good to know that your ex wife's coming up to you and saying to you, Hey, how do you feel? Yes, yeah. So but you know, I'm also a really firm believer in in um Treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Treat people like crap. Well, you're going to get treated like crap. And that's yep. – you can't complain about that. That's it. So I think to myself, you know what? I've got some pretty good mates and things that mattered to me five, six, seven years ago probably don't matter so much now. And things that weren't important to me five, six years, seven ago, family is one example. Yes. It's huge to me now. Yep. You know, I just recently – my mum is – you know, they're, they're not, I wouldn't say they're over the top religious, but they're Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and they go to church on Sunday and they, you know, they'll pray for me and, and everything else, which is, you know, I'm, I'm honoured that they do that, like family, yes. friends. And um, me and mum last year went to uh, to Lourdes over in France. Okay. Bit of a pilgrimage there, very, very religious Catholic pilgrimage and St. Bernadette and, and this other stuff, yeah. So we... We were going to go there and I said to dad, my dad said to me, oh, she's never been to Paris. I said, you know what, I went to Paris the year before to take one of my daughters and we all went there and made it a bit of a bucket list trip. Mm-hmm. And I said to mum, let's go to Paris and let's spend a week in Paris because obviously Lourdes is not far, it's in the Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. So I just said to her, let's go to Paris for five nights and then we'll go to Lourdes for a few nights and we'll stop at Singapore on the way home, right? So that was the trip me and my mum did and it was just... Yeah, it was amazing. Like I took it to Moulin Rouge, and yeah. and you know we went to, um, we we went to where um Joan of Arc was was burnt at the stake, and uh-huh. Rouen it was called, and 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 we got back, and we we basically got through customs, and we were there at the airport, and I said, "How'd you go?" She goes, "Best trip I've been on." So, oh, we just yeah, we just. You know, go back five, six years ago, and I wouldn't have even thought about doing that, just me and my mum. Yeah. Where after doing it, I come back and I thought, well, you know what? Whatever happens to me in the future, whether it be one year, 10 years, 20 years down the track, she's always going to have that memory of that two weeks we spent. Yeah. You know, just laughing and mucking around and stuff like that. So that's what I'm about now. I'm actually about building memories for not just family. I mean, obviously family's a priority, but even yep. mates and stuff like that. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, <laughs> met a couple of guys through. I remember going to uh, Grease Fest a few years back. Oh, okay, at Sandown yep. Park. And I went there, and this guy just come up and started talking. We had my fifty-seven Fairlane there, and he just started taking all photos of the car and everything else. He was a photographer, and I'm like looking at him, and I get a bit uncomfortable by that because I never built anything for for that. You know oh, what okay. I mean? I never built yeah. it for for the the accolade for or the shows, like that. And no, no, magazine like, covers. And this guy just fell in love with the car. Mm-hmm. And um, me and him were having a bit of a chat and, and um, yeah, and then just over the years developed a friendship and it all just started from him taking a few photos and then he's got a quite a severely disabled daughter and and he goes, she loves your car. She mm-hmm. just loves it. So I got together, there was me and my, my 13-year-old daughter, Sam, and, and we went to his place, picked him up. 
his daughter, like the disabled one, and she's a twin and took the other girl out and we went right up around the in the back of Diamond Creek and spent the day or the afternoon just driving her around and windows down and she had hair, you know, the wind in her hair and big smile on her face and, and I got home and I was just in tears. I'm like sitting there going, you know, it cost me nothing to make her day. Yep. And all the things in life that people complain about, look at this poor girl. Do you know yep. what I mean? But you know what? She didn't whinge about anything either. And I'm like, well, if she's got that bad a disability that she literally is in a wheelchair and, and everything else, mm-hmm. and she's not whinging, what really gives anybody else the right to complain about a shit day? Traffic. Yeah, yeah traffic, yeah. You know Stuff I mean? like that. That's oh, right. I'm 15 minutes late. Yep. You know? This girl struggles to eat breakfast. They have to feed her through tubes and things like that. And she didn't mm. complain. Yep. And I just sit back and, and that's – that's what I'm saying. In the last few years, I think it's just put things into perspective for me. Mm-hmm. You know, a bad day. You know what? A bad day above dirt is still probably a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> you know, and I mean, no matter how bad your life is, there's somebody that's copped it even worse, mate. I'm telling you. Yeah, that's. And it. I look at it, and I just think to myself, "Well, really, do I have the right to complain about?" Yeah, you know, I even say to my wife all the time now, like somebody would cut her off and she's going off, mm-hmm. and I look at her and I go, "Really, if the worst thing that happens to you today is that you're eight seconds late because mm-hmm. somebody's just cut in front of you, is it a bad yeah. day?" Yeah. She looks at me, she goes, "Oh, I hate you." <laughs> <laughs> look, I have to remember that too because oh, the traffic in Melbourne brings the worst out of you. You know, and, and the, the other favourite one of mine is too. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll be eating something or drinking something, and somebody will come up to me and go, "Should you really eat that, or should you really drink that?" And I turn around and go, "What do you think? Oh, maybe." I'm sure oh, it might give me cancer. And then they look at you and then my wife just looks at me and she's like, you're a prick. <laughs> you're, just a, you're just a bastard. Do you know what I mean? Or, or we missed the flu. We were, <laughs> just one other we were coming from on the last trip, like the bucket list trip. Well, I went with my family. We went to Europe and that. And we were flying from, um, we were flying from Malta because we went to Malta. We showed the kids a bit of Italy and a bit of Malta. Mm-hmm. And we were flying from Malta back to, um, we were flying, um, not Emirates, we were flying with um, Qatar Airlines. Okay, yeah. So we were flying back through Qatar. So I said, Let, let's let's go there for a few nights just to see what the Middle East is all about. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So anyway, Air Malta, I don't know what happened, but anyway, the plane was that delayed, but they didn't tell us anything, but it was that delayed. By the time we got to Heathrow Airport, okay. we'd actually missed our connecting flight. Oh, wow. And we had to sit in an airport virtually the whole day and I was there and the guy the guy was from Qatar Airlines and he was and he was a really lovely bloke and he was trying to you know be nice it wasn't his fault yeah yeah. but he's but I was so pissed off because I was just annoyed because I was so looking forward to going to the Middle East and I've just lost a whole day now and I was only going to be there three days and and um he looked at me and he looked at my passport photo and he goes Oh my god! He goes, you look amazing. He goes, how much weight you've lost? He goes, you look fantastic. How'd you do it? I looked him square in the face and said, I got cancer, mate. And he just looked at me, and he didn't know what to say. Didn't know what to do. Still just looking at me. My wife's looking at me, going, "You're a prick." He virtually burst out crying to the point where one of the other people had to come over and had to actually move him out of the way, no and, way. and finish the. And I'm like apologising. Then I felt like a real. Asshole, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, mate. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He goes, Oh, no, it's all right. It's all right. I shouldn't have. I'm like, No, no, it's all good. It's all good. He wouldn't have seen that coming. No, like, he gave you a compliment. No one does. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No one does. You know, should you really eat that? Well, what's it going to do? Give me cancer. Well, 
you never know. Well, I've already got that, mate. So, and then I just sit back and, like I said to you, I just, you know, make hay while the sun shines. I, I can't change it. Mm-hmm. So let's just let's just you know, do what it is and let it flow on. And some days are better than others. And and mates know now that sometimes I'll cancel. Mm-hmm. When I say late minute, I'm talking cancelling just as we're supposed to be walking out the door because I just don't have the physical strength or I don't have – I'm feeling sick or something like that. got a bit of yeah. chemo sick or something like that. But, um, but yeah, they – the people that need to that need to know and that matter, they mm-hmm. will know what's going on and, and that's yep. good. And they're all understanding. Well, I don't know. But, again, it, it all boils down to – look, <laughs> the majority of the mates I've got are somehow car-related. Mm-hmm. And and it's and it's good. It's like to them they always just um liken it to a breakdown. <laughs> You've gone somewhere and oh shit, bloody breaking down again or you know, something like that. So Yep, just got another flat. And then we, and then I decided to do a bit of travelling and like I said, we've got the caravan, we do a bit of caravan travelling, got to make it a married in uh Kosamui at the end of this year. So we're going we're heading over to go to his wedding and and then I figured to myself, I'm already where I'm, I'm already in the situation I'm in, so I, I can't get too worse. So I go looking for these. Um, went to Bali, we went to Bali about halfway through last year, and just you know, ten day of like us and the family. We went there during the school holidays, and mm-hmm. my wife's just looking at me, going, oh "My God, you eat the most obscure things." And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? What have I got to lose? <laughs> really? <laughs> in all honesty, is it really going to kill me any quicker? <laughs> Just, well, she, gets, she just looks at me and goes, you just take care, do you? And I'm just like, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I really, I really don't. I, I, I really believe that everybody's destiny is there, it's set. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you do, it's not going to change it. Yeah. So, but you know what, like I said, I've met some fantastic people along the way. Self, a lot of the guys out of Geelong, the guys out of bloody um, Geelong Exotics and the guys mm-hmm. out of uh, the Rough Cut guys and other clubs I've been involved with in the past as well. I'm still friends with a lot of those blokes. Yep. So um, that's, what, <laughs> that's what life's about. Yeah. The next it, adventure. Yep. Mm. And that's a real inspiration, honestly, like your attitude towards everything because, you know, God forbid if I would ever get sick, I would want to be just like you the way you're treating life now because you just, you just never know. You can't. You, <laughs> like I said, don't worry. There were days where I would, at the start, where I'd sit down and head down and it would be like, why me, why me? But then at the end of the day, you sit back and think, well, it is me. Mm. And I look at my kids, and I've got a 26-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, you know, and I look at my wife and I say, why me? Well, you know what, I'm glad it's me and not you because I don't know how I would cope watching Mm. my kids go through some of the treatments that I've had to endure, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. So, and I mean, they're not painful treatments, don't get me wrong when I say that, it's just the side effects of the treatments more so than anything else, the fatigue and the... The sickness and yeah. I had one one treatment which was bloody diabolical. I had um, it was just a chemo treatment, but it was an oral chemo. I call it butt burn. I had butt burn. It was like imagine eating uh, imagine your worst chili uh-huh. coming out. Multiply that by about a hundred. No way. And that's what it was. It was. Did they tell you that was going to be a side effect? No, they said you get mouth ulcers. Okay. Where I didn't get mouth ulcers, I got butt ulcers. <laughs> and mate, to the point where. <laughs> a bit disgusting, but there was like I was using um old people, old person's cream. They used to give like people that are in nursing homes this okay. cream, soothing cream, yeah. Yep. And I'll tell you what, my fingers and parts of my anatomy that 
my finger was going up to try to cool things down and <laughs> and everything else. And like I'd just be there and I was in so much pain. That was like oh no. that was like two weeks of of constant. Damn. Like they're going getting. I was sitting in basically ice baths. Yeah. Trying to cool it down. That's how hot Damn. it was. Damn. And you know what? I sit back now and I think, <laughs> and I laugh about it. Yeah. I wasn't laughing at the time, but I laugh about it now. And I say to my wife, I go, do you remember the butt burn days? And she just looked at me going, oh, my God. Don't bring that up. <laughs> you know, oh, my God, butt burn. It's like just eating scorpion chilli, but not actually eating it. It's like mm-hmm. putting it on you. And, um, yep. and, yeah, it was just, well, you know what? Again, if that's the worst thing that happens to me, this whole mm-hmm. treatment, and I get to live another 10 or 15 or 20 years, Yep. you know, We've all got a goal, and my goal is to see my 10-year-old hit 18 when I see her get her licence. Well, yep. anything – I'm going to work my guts out to get to that point, but anything yes. after that's a bonus. Yeah, okay. So that's so, one of the big things you're looking forward to, eh? Yeah, no, just uh, – And how old is she again, 13 now? No, nah, 10, 10, 10. My youngest yep. one's 10. I just want to okay. see her – she turns 10 next week. I just want to see oh, her geez. hit 18. But um, yep. I laugh, I, and, you know, I look at my wife and go, I want to see Sienna hit 18, you know, mm-hmm. and then I look at her and I, say, I look at my wife and I have a bit of a laugh, and that means you've got another – Eight years of having to put up with this <laughs> shit. <laughs> she looks at me, rolls her eyes. But um, but yeah, but I mean, look, again, even with this, I've met some amazing people, some resilient people. Like I said, three people in Tassie that have to travel mm-hmm. halfway across the country to get treatment. Yeah, and 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 then people complain because they've got to they've got to sit forty five minutes in traffic to go from you know from Melton to from Melton to Peter Mac. Mm. Something I'm like sitting there going. You complain about forty five minutes. I go, these people have got like two days of travelling to to go and see their oncologist. Yeah. Not to mention it. the expense. That's not paid for by the government. They've got to pay no. for it themselves. Yeah, really. So yeah. so but yeah, you know what? Life is what life is. That's it. All I know is now I'm retired and just uh got the <laughs> the supposed good life. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's actually not too bad, mate. It's not yeah. too bad. Yep. I bet. Yeah, retiring retiring was not as easy as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know what? Oh, how cool is that going to be to retire? I always wanted to retire. But when, you, when you've worked all your life from – I've worked since I was 16, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're not working. And then all of a sudden you just feel like – oh, I did anyway. I felt like I was just letting people down. Financially, I was lucky enough to have income protection insurances and mm-hmm. things like that and, and set ourselves up quite – we so well off, but we're comfortable, yeah. Yep. And um, and yeah, and I just and I just sort of sit back and think about it now, and I think, well, you know what? I see people that really, really struggle, and my life's not that bad. But retiring just really threw a spanner in the works a little bit because it just all of a sudden you're not getting up and having to be anywhere. Yeah. Yep. And you think it'd be good, and it is for a month or two. Yep. And then it's not. <laughs> but you get to get a Ballarat. You get to get a. Uh, to I Europe and those things. I would have done that anyway. <laughs> the Ballarat <laughs> stuff. The Europe thing was just like, oh, like, yeah, we just, I just, the Maserati started that. When I bought I the Maserati, yeah, I said, I want to go to the Maserati factory before I die, bucket list. Oh, so you went there? Yeah, I did. And yeah. oh, I've got time, I'll tell you, I'll give you my, my Italy experiences. I was on the aeroplane, it was all great. And then we went to, um, we got to, went to France for a week. Okay. And um, I was when we were leaving the, the airport in France, we were heading over to Venice, mm-hmm. France to Venice, and I wasn't feeling so great, but I thought, oh, yeah, just a little bit off. And because of the pancreatic nets that I have, it's mm-hmm. made me a diabetic. 
a diabetes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've got type 1 diabetes and I'm, I'm insulin dependent now, but at the time I was only on tablets. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't feeling very good. And I felt, I actually felt like I'd played footy and I was just really tired. So I thought, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I probably need a little bit of a like Gatorade or something like that. So mm-hmm. anyway, went through Venice. Wasn't so bad. Wasn't so great. Leaving Venice, I was starting to feel really shocking. Mm-hmm. And we were heading over to Florence. And um, my wife's going, we better take you to hospital. I said, no way. I said, I'm going to the Maserati factory. And we were going from Florence and we were going by train to the, okay. to the, to the factory. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, Maserati factory's in two days. And she's like, no, no, no. You really need to go to hospital. I go, no, Maserati factory's in two <laughs> days. I'm not going anywhere, right? Anyway, next day I collapse, end up in hospital. Oh, in no. Intensive care. Got, oh. I had pneumonia. Oh, and my body had turned into it turned acidic. Yeah. And um, my wife was talking to the to the doctor like I was unconscious and they were trying yeah. to do whatever they could do. She goes, Look, well, we've got to work out what we're gonna do tomorrow. He goes, Tomorrow? He goes, I'd be surprised if he survives tonight. Oh, so I'm yeah. in intensive care and I had photos of of me in intensive care and wake up three days later and or a couple of days later out of intensive care and I'm like, Oh shit, what happened? And she told me what day is it? She goes, what do you mean? I go, when was this Maserati factory? She's like, that was two days ago, mate. Oh, she goes, no. you never got there. And then and then she was sending them emails okay. and telling them what had happened. Yep. And um, and then I got out of hospital and it was a couple of days later. We She'd booked me train tickets, me and my dad, because my dad was with us. Okay. Booked us train tickets to go to the Maserati factory. But when we got there, it was – they opened for – Four days a week, and they closed for three days a week. And uh-huh. it was the day that they were closed, oh, and I was cursing. Man. But I got there and I got to the Maserati head office, and as I walked in the door, I said, "Oh, hi, how you going?" And the girl at the reception turned around and goes, are "You, Mark?" And I went, <laughs> "Yeah." Looking at her, going, "Yeah." Oh. What have I done? Yeah, I, was, I sort of thought I was in trouble, you know, like a school yeah. teacher telling you off for something. She goes, "I was a couple of people that want to meet you, and the bloody the Australasian or the the world. He was the world um, sales." Manager. You're kidding. And the guy that was like the European sales manager, they come down, they gave me a key ring and wow. and they go, it's passion like yours that drives us. I said, mate, passion like mine. I said, I've got a 10-year-old or 12-year-old second-hand Maserati. And they go, yeah, but you know what? Your wife told us exactly what was happening to you and in and out of hospitals in Florence and, and nearly you're dying in and everything. Because you wouldn't go to hospital because <laughs> you wouldn't get there. Nearly dying, and they go. The first thing you done when you got out of hospital was come here. Yeah. So I'm just like, I've got photos, like, and I actually I come out. I, I was I looked at photos just recently, and I was shocked, mate. I was like 60 kilos. Yeah, I got out of there. I, I look like you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I mean, I'm I've just always been a big kid all my life, a big bloke all my life, and yep. and yeah, I was just just look so drawn. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's skinny, healthy, and skinny drawn, and I just look yeah. so drawn and. Did they take you through it all? Sorry? Did they take you through it all? Oh, look, they couldn't take me into the factory, but yeah, they okay. did take me into parts of the, like, their museum area that uh-huh. they have that's off limits to anybody. And oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, because they changed. They've, they've got, like, it's a, quite a big, um, like, showroom area. It's, there's cars and there's, like, number of cars and there's probably good 10 or 15 display cars plus 10 or 12 cars that are there, like, their current cars that they sell. Okay, yep. So you could walk in there and buy a car if you mm-hmm. wanted to. My dad fell in love with them and I'm just like, come on, we'll buy that one. Yeah. It was MC20 or something. And I said to him, well, you know, let's get in there. Let's buy one of these. And he goes, no, no, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll stick with my Honda Civic. <laughs> but, um, 
Oh, yeah, wow. so what an adventure! Oh, and, and you know something? I love that word adventure as opposed to journey because mm-hmm. I say to people, a journey is a point A and a point B. Yep, right. I know where my point A was, but I've got no idea where my point B is. So it's mm-hmm. an, to me, life's an adventure. That's it, you know. And um, yeah, I just but that was um, that was one that was a I used one of my nine lives that day. I can tell you now. I'm sure, wow. I used one of my nine lives. They they. I, they honestly thought that I wasn't even going to survive the night. They said to me, wife, we don't think you'll survive tonight. No way. Yeah, so. And the first thing you say when you open your eyes is what day is yeah. it? <laughs> and that was so funny because, I mean, it's like you're in Italian hospital, right? And um, with the HDU unit or the high-dependency high, um, unit, mm-hmm. like our, our intensive care, and you're laying on a bed, you've got a nurse right next to you, and it's all glass. Mm-hmm. So all the doctors can see if something happens, they come running in. Yep. And it's all glass. And um, I'm completely naked, got tubes hanging out of me, they're sponge bathing me like like they did in the old 60s movies, yeah? Yeah. Everything else. So then when I get to the ward, like they finally, I finished from HCU, and they said, well, we're going to put you in a ward for a few days. So I had a pair of boxer shorts on and a T-shirt, and the nurse got upset. And I'm like, what? She goes, you're not really dressed appropriate for... Hospital. I'm like, I was completely naked downstairs <laughs> and used a bath of me like in a fish tank and that was okay. And upstairs I can't. So she went running and got me and she was a great, she was good. She was really good nurse. She went and got me those paper overalls. Oh, you know, okay. like the, the ones everybody's wearing for coronavirus at the moment, those uh-huh. disposable paper overalls. Yeah. She yep. got me a pair of them. She cut the arms off, cut the legs off. And she Feet. goes, there you go. You, know, <laughs> you can wear these. And I'm just like sitting there just laughing. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, oh, my God. Right? I couldn't believe it. I'm just like sitting there. <laughs> and then my wife said to her, because um, my wife goes, what do you want me to do? And I said, look, we're booked to go to Rome. Go and spend a couple of days in Rome and mm-hmm. go and see Rome, yeah? Because you can't do anything here while I'm mm. in hospital. Yep. So she went, to, she went to Rome and as she was leaving, she turned around to the nurse and she said, oh, look, have you got the Wi-Fi password or something so we can, so we can do something, right? Yep. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. He's not here for Wi-Fi. He's here to rest. No Wi-Fi here. Like, I mean, hospitals in Europe, like, you were there to recover. No TVs, no radios. kidding. No, no. No Wi-Fi, no vending machines. Really? Not even just for drinks or whatever? Nothing. You drink and eat what they give you because what they're giving you to to eat and drink is what's going to make you better. Mm, Yeah, okay. And but still, you'd be like watching paint dry there for half the time. Oh, mate, I'll tell you, it was and, – and being English, not understanding a word of Italian, yeah. people walk in and start talking to you in Italian and you're looking at them like, what the <laughs> – you just agree and nod, that's all I was doing and, yep. and, they, and they think I understand. So then they started talking more and faster and you're like, yeah, <laughs> you nod quicker. Yeah. They this, laugh and punch your shoulder and you laugh yeah, and give them the thumbs up. Who knows what they've said to you. They, <laughs> yeah. they could have been up feeling your arm going, oh, geez, this guy would be all right in a pot. You know what I mean? It's like you wouldn't even know. I, would, I wouldn't have had any idea what they were saying. Yeah, so, yeah. But you had some there that spoke a bit of English, I imagine. No, yeah, you got you had I had one nurse and or a couple of nurses that spoke sort of, you know, a little bit of English here and there, but enough enough to get you by. Yeah, yeah, so, enough to get you out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it was just a... Not an experience that most people want to have, traveling European holiday and, and spending, you know, five nights in hospital, six mm. nights in hospital, but but hey. And then I was starting to panic. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is probably going to cost me my house. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't have travel insurance, it's just a well, – you've got to pay for everything, isn't it? We have travel insurance, but I don't have any travel insurance that was 
that my travel insurance won't cover me for anything that's cancer related. Oh, uh-huh, okay. So when we were lucky that it was, well, when I say lucky, not lucky that I ended up in there, but lucky it was to mm. do with diabetes, which uh-huh. had nothing to do with the cancer, number gotcha. one. And number two, Australia's got a medical agreement with 11 countries and Italy happens to be one of them. Mm. So what happens is they basically got my Medicare number. And You're kidding. And, and then Australian, it's done. And, you know, well, I got back and sent an email to the, like, just the Australian government consulate thanking them. Yep. Because, I mean, it would have, a friend of mine's a nurse and she said, you're probably talking, if you're talking two or three days in ICU mm. and then you're talking three or four days on a ward, she says, you're not talking much change out of eighty dollars to $100,000 there. Really? Yeah. She reckons oh, every, day, every day in ICU is worth around about ten dollars to $15,000. Damn. And a normal ward's worth around about eight to $10,000. And I said, you're joking. She goes, nah. So she goes, just even if you base it on 10,000 and you were there for seven days, she goes, there's 70,000 bucks. And it was all because Australia has some agreement with Italy. Yeah. There's 11 countries. I think there's, there's, I don't know them all, but I know um, Italy's one, UK's another one, New Zealand's another one. Mm -hmm. Malta, believe it or not, is another one. Okay. Um, So... What happened? Is Thailand one of those? I don't think so. <laughs> but you know what? One of the guys actually hit it on the head for me with Thailand because the last Thailand trip, my wife was a little bit nervous and the Bali trip, my wife was a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. She goes, because we're six, seven hours away from home. If you need to get him on a plane, and he goes, yep. you're not. He goes, Bali, you're like an hour and a half away from home. And she goes, yeah, no, Darwin. Yeah, well, that's what they do, Perth. Oh, he okay. goes, all you got to do is get him on a plane and get him to Perth. And then mm-hmm. once he's in Perth, then Medicare takes over. Yeah, so Medicare okay. will then worry about getting him to wherever he needs to be. Yep, yep. Okay, I just gotcha. Went, oh, okay. I never really thought of it like that. I always thought mm. home was home back in Melbourne. Yeah, you got to get to your city of residence, but no, it's just no, being in the country. Not. You've just got to get into the country. And um, but yeah, that was um, that was when you talk adventure. Boy, that was one hell of an adventure. That one. The yeah. Did one. your wife end up going to Rome then for a couple? Yeah, of days? yeah. She went to Rome for two. And believe it or not, she went to Rome thirty years ago before we ever got together. She was in Rome. And she got to um, Vatican City and wanted to go into to to see um, Sistine Chapel and stuff like that. And when yep. she got there, she basically waited in line, got to the door. And when she got to the door, they turned around and said to her, "Your shoulders aren't covered. Unfortunately, you can't come in." Was that thirty years ago when yeah, she first? Yeah, thirty years went. ago. Okay, right? yeah. So she's just <laughs> like, and she's waited thirty years to get there. And then when we got there, I said to her, "Just go. I'm not going to get to Rome, but you can get to Rome. Go and do the things that you never got to do thirty years ago. Do them now, right?" Mm. You wouldn't believe it. She got there. She goes, well, I was about five people from the front. The tour bus guy come and grabbed her and said, the bus is leaving. You need to get back on the bus. No. Dragged her out. And I, and she goes, 30 years apart. She has literally within 10 people are getting into the damn place. Yeah. And she goes, twice, I never got in there. So I promised her I'm going to stay alive long enough for yep. me and her to go. Mm-hmm. And I'll follow her around like a puppy dog for five or six days. And she'll cover her shoulders. She sure as hell cover her shoulders. And I'll wait. I said, I'll just... Follow you around. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And um, I just couldn't believe it. I just said to her, you're kidding me. She goes, no. She goes 30 years apart and I still never got there. Man. And I just went, oh, well, fair enough. That's it. Now, will you go into Rome again then? Yeah, well, I, I will. I'll take her. But I'll, I'm gonna. I'm hoping that the kids will get a little bit, when the kids are a little bit older, mm-hmm. and it'll be just me and her this time. Yeah, yep. You know? yep. It's, great traveling with, it. it's great travelling with kids, but sometimes it's awesome just to, the two of you just to, yeah, I bet. To go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not that I, I – look, I adore my kids. I love my kids. Yeah. And I love taking them everywhere. But sure. sometimes it, it's just like we were a couple of days in Hobart, no kids, and it was just like, oh, how cool is this? 
Yeah, yeah. Just not having to worry about you know all the other stuff. The stuff that they complain about, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you just... No Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, no Wi-Fi. Um, but just, yeah, it's just little shit, you know? Like, I mean, you can sit in a bar and have a drink. Yep. And I know it's not huge, but just to sit down and even have a coffee at lunchtime or we were sitting in a cafe and had a, a sandwich and I was just reading the paper and it's just like, no, kids going, come on, Dad, I want to go home. Dad, I'm bored. Dad this, Dad that. You mm. know what I mean? It was good just to... Like I said, as much as I love them, it was good for just that, mm-hmm. for that day or two of just, yeah, not having to be anywhere, not in a hurry to be anywhere and not yep. no, being no, rushed awesome. around to do anything. Awesome. Does your wife ever come to the car events or anything? She does, yeah. She's come to a couple of things. Like, I mean, we just, she's pretty random. She's not really into them, mm-hmm. but she enjoys the social side of it. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, like, she she come on, a, I think the last one she come on when they done the Australia Day Run okay, yep. I couldn't make it to that yeah, one, but no, yeah, come on that's that. a big one normally once a that's year. A, that's a huge one, yeah. That was yep. that's probably one of the biggest runs I've been in any club. Is that it's coming up again now, or when uh, is Australia Day? 26th of January, isn't it? Oh, okay, yeah, sorry, <laughs> 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 oh, but me. I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be no, wrong. I think you are right, no, you but, are um, right. but yeah, but I know they've got one coming up. Which oh, I couldn't believe it. Of <laughs> for my fiftieth birthday, and I'm fifty-two. I got given a Ferrari ride, and it kept getting cancelled and put back, and then they uh-huh. cancelled and put it back. And it's it just so happens to be on the same day that they're doing the Great Ocean Road Run. Oh no way! Really? And I just said I can't cancel it again. So no, nah, do it. You got to yeah, do that. You've been waiting for years. Yeah, for that. I've been waiting two years to do that. So yep. no, awesome, crazy. It's probably I'm going to go into a. I'm going to end up in a Ferrari that's got a smaller motor than the one that's in my Maserati. But <laughs> yeah. hey. You know what? No, you love it. Prancing horse. That's it. Yeah, no, it's oh, all good. Well, look, I hope you've enjoyed it. I thoroughly have. Yeah. And, I mean, we could keep going, and I'm sure we can. I mean, we might even do another one of these. I'm sure there's plenty more stories that you've got. I'd love to hear them. Oh, look, I mean, as long as I'm not boring people to death, I'm, I'm happy to keep going. I mean, it's No, just, I'm sure yeah, you're not. You know? I live to, I, like I said, I just want people to understand and, and just live life. Mm-hmm. You only get one shot at it. Yep. You know, live it. Live every Live every second of it. You know, go home tonight and sort of give your kids a bit of a hug, even though they might shit you sometimes. You go home, give them a bit of a hug because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. You really don't. Life's an adventure. That's it, adventure. That's a takeaway message. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? Well, yeah, thank you again. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I'm sure that anyone who's listening has enjoyed it as well. Oh, I hope so. That's awesome. All good. All right, well, we'll see you at the next event or the next time we sit down. But, yeah, thank you again. I've really loved it. Yeah, no worries at all.